Good evening, again. It's Christmas. Well, not quite. It's almost Christmas, but um, we did this last year where we celebrated a few days early because most of our congregation is going to disappear in a few days uh, and go see family and travel, and we need to celebrate Christmas um, because it's a really big deal. And... Many around the world think this is a really big deal, even though they may not even believe in God or believe in Jesus. There's Christmas trees and Christmas stockings and Christmas decorations and uh, Christmas light displays and Christmas cookies, Christmas candy, Christmas gift giving, Christmas parties, Christmas pajamas, Christmas sweaters, and oh, so many Christmas songs. It's amazing who puts out Christmas albums and Christmas songs. I mean, there's the old classics, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, but then there's some kind of new classics, Mariah Carey, Michael Buble, The Beebs. I mean, he's got a Christmas album. James Brown, the godfather of soul, has a Christmas album. Ariana Grande, she's got two, I think. Uh, Jonas Brothers, Lady Gaga has a Christmas album. John Legend, it's called A Legendary Christmas. Ho, ho. Uh, Ed Sheeran, Coldplay. Coldplay has a Christmas song. Um, old school country fans, you've got Willie Nelson, Christmas, Johnny Cash, Brooks and Dunn. New country, you've got Lady A and Rascal Flatts and the band Perry. And of course, Walker Hayes has a new Fancy Like Christmas. Um, and so does Cher, who's 77 years old. She's come up with a Christmas album. I mean, everybody is celebrating Christmas. I mean, Taylor Swift sings about Christmas tree farms. I mean, come on. Uh, It's a big deal. And many of those artists mentioned, I suspect, don't necessarily understand why it's a big deal. But there's something about this season. This season is unlike any other season, literally around the world. But it's not just humanity that's excited about Christmas. Heaven is excited about Christmas. This is the only time, as far as we know, that heaven breaks into the world with an angelic laser light show. We just read about it in Luke's gospel. Luke 2, 13 to 14. This is the passage that I tried to cut off. So I'm glad that Jacob read it because uh, I'm actually preaching on it. Uh, Suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, full disclosure, the angels are saying these words, but humans seem determined to sing them, and for good reason. A few songs that we don't have time to sing tonight. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, right? The spoke, the angels suddenly appeared, a shining throng of angels praising God, who thus addressed their joyful song. All glory be to God on high and to the earth be peace. To those on whom his favor rests, goodwill shall never cease. Or go tell it on the mountain. While shepherds kept their watching, you can sing this one with me. Or silent flocks by night. Behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. We're going to skip the chorus, okay? The, the next part. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth 
Ring out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. This heavenly moment, right, that we sing about, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. This Christmas thing is a big deal. And I think most people, at some point, would like for there to be an angelic laser light show that would break in and just knock your socks off. But it doesn't seem to be the usual way that God works, although he has definitely knocked some socks off during the course of his relationship with human beings. Leading up to Christmas, we see him create the whole universe with just words. Fairly impressive. Um, The flood in the days of Noah... The ten plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the manna and the meat that showed up for 40 years, pretty impressive. Demolition of the walls of Jericho, the overwhelming glory of God's presence in the inauguration of Solomon's temple, miracles performed by prophets like Elijah and Elisha, I could go on. But most of the thousands of years leading up to Jesus was fairly ordinary. Most of the people of God were asked to exercise faith in the God who had broken into the world, yes, but had made promises about what he was doing and what he would do. Very few of God's people had angelic laser light shows. It wasn't like Disney where every night you have a laser light show. It wasn't like that. It was very, very few of those. But there was one on Christmas night. There was one on Christmas night. Night. God had waited until this night to pull out this glorious display of a multitude of angels praising God and giving glory to God in the highest. Now, the angels had no problem doing this. They had been giving God glory in the highest on a regular basis in heaven. We get a little glimpse of this in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah gets this, this glimpse of the throne of God. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, Above him stood the seraphim. Those are are angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. For angels, much of their entire existence is giving glory to God in the highest. So I think when God said, let's take the show on the road, let's take it to earth, they were like, we're ready. <laughs> we're ready to show earth how it's done. But why this moment? Why Christmas for the time to pull out the angelic laser light show? Well, before this amazing display of heavenly glory, a single solitary angel does give some explanation. It's a little bit like the person who comes out to give the introduction to a Broadway play or a concert. It's very simple, kind of come out and ask, you know, the, the crowd to calm down and, and give a little simple introduction. Well, this is like the, the, the angel that comes out. And this is what the angel says in Luke 2, 9 through 12. It says, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. Now, I want to stop right there. This announcement is really big. It's, it's first of all, good news. The, the, that phrase, good news, is translated from the word that we usually translate gospel, and which is what gospel means. And this good news is about the birth of a very important person, so important that his birth announcement is worthy of an angelic laser light show. No prophet, no priest, no king had ever been that worthy of that kind of an angelic light show. Uh, the, the whole formal birth announcement thing, that, that really wasn't that big a deal I, when, when we were having kids, but now it's a huge deal, right? It's like professional photography session with mom and dad and baby, and you send out this massive, beautiful uh, birth announcement, but nothing like this, nothing like a heavenly, angelic light show. So who is this baby? Well, first clue is this baby is born in the city of David, that is Bethlehem. Uh, that had been promised long ago that the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting on would be born in that little town. We read that in places like Micah 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from the ancient of days. This Bethlehem baby has already been announced that he's coming, that he's going to be born in the city of David and that he's going to be a savior king. The savior king was going to save Israel from their horrible history of darkness and oppression. Micah wasn't the only prophet who had spoken of this special child. Isaiah 9 that you just heard uh, my wife read, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So he's an important baby. <laughs> Born in Bethlehem and the Messiah. And in case there was some confusion, the angel makes sure that they know, no, no, this is the Messiah. He says he is the Christ, which is what the Jews used as the Greek term for their Messiah. It means anointed one, the Christos. And so the angel is clear, this is the one, this is the Messiah that was promised by the prophets of old. The angel adds a little something that no Jew would have added, says he's the Lord. Not only is he the human savior king, the one that had been waited for as the Messiah, but he is divine, he is God. Now contained in the angelic announcement are the basics of Christmas, why Christmas is such a big deal. The Messiah, the Savior King that had been promised by, by the, the, the prophets, he's come and he's God, right? This is amazing. This is cause for singing and parties and decorations. And, and then <clears throat> the angel's message ends with this very strange phrase. When he says that there will be a sign, he says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> what? I mean, the juxtaposition of 
divine savior king that was promised throughout the ages, and he's a swaddled baby. There is nothing so weak, so vulnerable than a baby young enough to need to be swaddled. They're they're, they're not swaddled for long. They won't put up with it. But when they are tiny babies, they, they are swaddled, and it keeps them warm, but it keeps them calm. It reminds them of their cramped quarters in their mother's womb. And so it does seem like a strange combination. The, this mighty king, this prince of peace, he's needing to be fed, burped, diapered, fed, burped, diapered, fed, burped, diapered. I mean, this is his life and swaddled. But not only this, this swaddled baby is in a feed trough. No palace, no well-bred parents from the Ivy League who summer in the vineyard. This kid isn't snuggled in a Bjorn bassinet. Like, he's not just a helpless baby. That's vulnerable enough. But he's been born into a helpless family with very little money or power or anything, for that matter. It's hard for most of us in the room to imagine this kind of vulnerability. Many in the room have savings accounts and retirement plans and severance pay and family we can call when we get into a jam. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But it causes most of us to struggle to understand the kind of vulnerability that Jesus was born into. He was as weak and vulnerable as it gets. And so were his parents. As I wrote this sermon in different coffee shops around the city, for whatever reason, there was always, uh, when I was writing, a homeless person about three seats over from me. And it was just this constant reminder of vulnerability, right? That this one who was sitting pretty close to me had, had made it through another night, had, had gotten a warm cup of coffee to welcome the morning and was wondering where lunch was going to come from and where they'd sleep that night. That's the kind of vulnerability that we see Jesus being born into. I think it's one of the reasons the shepherds, who were the lowest of the low in society, decided to go check this baby out. They were thinking, a kid born in a feed trough sounds like a king that I could come close to. And this is what we see in Luke 2, 15. It says, when the angels went away from them in, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. There's not a lot of description here. Um, we like to depict it in a lot of different ways where there's like heavenly light shining through, you know, the stable and Mary is glowing and, you know, there's just lots of interesting, I was kind of going down a deep hole of, of, of nativity pictures, which I won't uh, torture you with, but that's not what it was like, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was bloody and there was afterbirth and there was stress and chaos and a young bewildered husband and a young mother who's trying to recover from the trauma of birth in less than ideal conditions. That is a strange juxtaposition to an angelic laser light show. And that's what Luke is putting in his passage here tonight. That this one who is the mighty king, the, the prince of peace, but 
is being born into a stinky, vulnerable, poor family, and he is sometimes stinky and definitely vulnerable and poor. Ta-da! God's plan for saving the world. This is back to God's regularly scheduled ways. The way that God works, and I'm going I'm to steal a phrase from an author. Uh, his name is Paul Miller, and he's written a couple of books that have been really helpful to me, The Praying Life and The Praying Church. But he, he says the way that God works typically is low and slow. He works low and slow. God usually does not work through angelic laser light shows. He works in those who are low, and the work is usually slow. Speaking of slow, Matthew starts his gospel with a massive low and slow genealogy, right? Before this night, God has been painstakingly working in his low and slow ways through 2,000 years of childbirth. Babies who grew up to have babies who grew up to have babies who grew up to have babies. Matthew concludes this riveting 2,000 years like this. Uh, verse uh, 17 of Matthew 1. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and then he launches into his version of the Christmas story. I mean, most of us don't have the patience to read through the genealogy, much less 2,000 years of babies having babies. Jesus would later affirm this understanding of God's work among humanity in his preaching, actually in the book of Luke. He says this, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when you, they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For, you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus can say that kind of stuff, not just because it's true, but because he is this. He's not a seminary professor with an academic pedigree. He's a kid from Nazareth who was born in a barn. Jesus is revealing something in his personal story and his teaching about how God works. He works in the low, and he works slow. It, it's not unlike the, the low and slow work of a baby just trying to grow up. Now, I've been working my grandson into every sermon over the last four weeks, and I'm doing it again tonight. This is, this is Jackson. This is probably going to be a sticker soon, but, but, uh, <clears throat> and he's actually here tonight, so you can meet him in, in person. But uh, this week, my son, Corey, he sent uh, a, a video, and I'm not going to torture you with the video, okay? Uh, but he, he sent a video of Jackson rolling over. Big, that's a big deal, right? That took four months, guys. That took four months just to lift the old head and roll over. It's a slow process, but nothing compared to 2,000 years of babies growing up. 
It's low and slow. We're told that Mary treasured the story that the shepherds told her in her heart. See, she didn't get an angelic laser light show that night, but she got a testimony from a bunch of low and slow shepherds that God had chosen as her not-so-heavenly messengers. She knew enough about God's ways, though, to believe their testimony and to treasure it. Mary sings about her pregnancy, and in the earlier part of Luke, Luke 1, 51, says, she sings this. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She understands the low and the slow. Now, eventually, this baby would grow up. He would learn to roll over and walk and talk and go to the bathroom all by himself. And then he would teach and heal, raise the dead, take on the entire Jewish religious establishment, and even go lower than his barnyard birth. So low as to be crucified, dead, and buried. There were no angels there. Just isolation, violence, and a brutal death. But God was working in the low. Because <laughs> three days later, he rose from the dead. You can't rise unless you go low. He went low, and then he rose from the dead. And that last part of the story of him raising and ascending to the right hand of the Father from whence he will come and return, that part is going to be high and fast. But for now, it's low and slow. I wonder how God is working tonight. How is he working in our own hearts? I suspect low and slow. Not always, but often. If you find yourself tonight feeling high and lifted up, you're going to miss Christmas. You may eat a Christmas cookie and open up a gift and sing some Christmas Songs, but if you don't go low, you're going to miss Christmas. Let me encourage you, humble yourself before the Christ child. Not just the Christ child, the crucified, resurrected, ascended, and returning divine Savior King tonight. If you've never done that, go low. Go low. Humble yourself. Because this is where you meet God. Now, if you find yourself feeling low, know that that is where God's presence dwells. He dwells in the low. Cry out to him tonight. Perhaps you've already been, been doing that. <laughs> do, it, do it again. Cry out to him from that low place. Along with Mary, ponder the Jesus story in your heart. Not just the Christmas story, but the Easter story and the return of Christ story. Ponder that story tonight and continue to trust the God of the low and the slow. We've been observing Advent over the last few Sundays 
And it is really an acknowledgement of the low and slow of, of, of God over an immense amount of time bringing forth his prophets, his promises, and the, and the light of that, the hope of that increasing over time. And, the, and as, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, the light increases. And even this candlelight service, the way we do this, is an acknowledgement of the low and slow work of God, where we start with the light up here, but then it grows. Alberto's going to help me with this. So if, you, if, you, if your candle's lit, when we stand, keep it upright, and the person that's not lit, bend it over to the flame, okay? And that'll help keep the carpet as it is. <laughs> Let me pray for us, and then uh, Noah's going to lead us in a silent night. God, thank you for your work. You're faithful, steady, powerful, oftentimes quiet work in our hearts and lives. Thank you for the quiet work you've done in this church over the last um, really two years, drawing together a core of people and those people reaching out to friends and neighbors and just seeing this slow work but steady, seeing the light increase in this neighborhood. God, thank you for the ways you've done that in, in the hearts and lives of each person in the room and the families represented. And we're just, we're just grateful for that, God, and the life that we have in Christ. And uh, we acknowledge that today uh, as we sing, as we worship. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Let's sing. Silent night.